0: No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome back to Simply the Bible,
1: the through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel Treasure Valley. God is a God of love and justice, so today we see how these characteristics are reflected in the law he gave Moses. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Exodus chapter 23 on Simply the Bible.
0: One of my favorite verses is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The reason I love this verse is because it embodies the will of God for us. It's not complicated to do what's good. Just remember these three things, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. If you do this, you'll be doing well. You'll be doing the right thing toward God and man. To this, we could also add the golden rule. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, speaking of the law, we see that God gave Moses laws concerning love and justice. Both are attributes of God. We pick it up in Exodus chapter 23. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. These instructions are given regarding the ninth commandment not to bear false witness. It is especially referring to a court of law, but it applies to any false witness anywhere. Gossip, slander, and backbiting do a world of hurt. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, lied. Words do hurt, and they can destroy a person's reputation. Today, the social media has given us the opportunity to circulate false reports around the world In a moment, Charles Spurgeon said, a lie will go round the world while truth is pulling its boots on. Never was this statement truer than today. But how much effort do we put into verifying that something is true before we spread it? Another way people bear false witness is when they go against their own convictions to side with the crowd. That is a perversion of justice truly it takes courage to stand alone once I was chosen for jury duty and during the jury selection process the prosecuting attorney asked me if I could prosecute a guilty person because I was a pastor I assured her that I could in the trial all the other jurors wanted to let the defendant go off the hook but I felt that he was guilty I think they felt sorry for him because he was poor It was hard for me to stand my ground in that crowd, especially as it got closer to dinner time and everybody wanted to go home and eat. My junior high school teacher taught me a good lesson. He said, never compromise your convictions for anyone. You may be standing alone, but at least you will have your integrity. Do justly, regardless of what everyone else is doing and show no partiality regardless of a person's economic status. J. Vernon McGee says, The Romans depicted justice as a woman tender but also blindfolded. She was no respecter of persons and held a sword in one hand and scales in the other. The sword meant that when the judgment was handed down, there would be the execution of the penalty. The scales meant that justice would be fair. Verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. We see here the seed of what Jesus would later say in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies." Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Let's face it, these are probably the hardest words in the entire Bible to do. I have yet to meet anyone who always does these things. Moses never told the Hebrews to love their neighbor and hate their enemy. This was the unwarranted conclusion of the rabbis. But going back to the law, we can see where God made provision for showing kindness even toward your enemy. If you see your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, then you should bring it back to him. Doing so would certainly help ease the tension between you and your neighbor. In like manner, Solomon says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Your action in returning your enemy's animal or helping it with its burden would benefit the animal and your enemy. And it may just turn your enemy into a friend. One last thing, I have found that it is very practical to do what Jesus said and pray for those who take advantage of us or persecute us It's very difficult to do, but it's also very difficult to remain bitter against someone whom you are praying for, provided that you're praying blessings on him and not calling down fire from heaven to consume him. Verse six, you shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. In all things, we are to do justly. Proverbs 17.15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Therefore, it's wrong to condemn the poor just because he is poor. And likewise, it is wrong to acquit the rich just because he is rich or can afford a better attorney. Condemning the innocent and acquitting the guilty are equal perversions of justice. We can easily see that the popular opinion that God will forgive everyone because he is a God of love is dead wrong. It denies God of his justice, which is one of the essential attributes that he has. He plainly says here, I will not justify the wicked. What is fascinating is that when it comes to saving lost sinners, according to Romans 4 5, God in His grace justifies the ungodly. He can do this because Christ bore the penalty for our sins when He died on the cross. God's justice is satisfied through the blood of Christ. Therefore, He can be merciful toward us, even though we are evil, without sacrificing His justice. But if we are to receive his pardon, we must draw near to him through faith in Jesus Christ and humbly confess our sins. Verse 8, And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Now, Lady Justice has a blindfold so that she can be equitable to all without considering their face or their economic or social status but a bribe blinds the judge to what is just. We may also say that political ties will blind a judge. A judge should give rulings not because of his or her own political party, but because of conscience based upon rightly interpreting the law. In many countries, it is very difficult to get anything done without bribing some public official. This is a great perversion of justice. Verse nine, also you shall not oppress a stranger for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. This is now the second time in the law that God mentions this. Why does he repeat it? Well, usually if God repeats something, it's because it's important or maybe it's just because we weren't listening the first time or perhaps because he knows how hard it's gonna be for us to do it. In any case, we can see that it is very important that when it comes to a stranger or a foreigner that we not be prejudiced. Many times prejudices lurk deep inside the heart and we're not even aware of it. But that is also a perversion of justice. To not consider the nationality or the color of their skin, their race, whatever, that should have nothing to do with it. Verse 10, six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. This was the law of the Sabbath year and God had a great welfare system because you would sow your land for six years, but in the seventh year, you wouldn't touch it, you wouldn't sow it, you wouldn't harvest it, but you'd let the poor of the land and the beasts of the field go and eat off of your land. Now, God says, if you'll do this, uh, I will give you a bumper crop in the sixth year so you can just sort of take it easy the seventh year. I don't know about you, but you know, one year and seven, it'd just take off? That sounds kind of good to me. But the Lord was looking after everybody in this, and he was also looking after the land itself. Now, God was serious about this because we will see that when the southern kingdom of Judah went into Babylonian captivity, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah and said, look, you guys did not give the land its Sabbath rest for 490 years. So I'm going to give the land 70 years of rest, one for every seven years that you didn't do it. And that's how long you're going to be in captivity. (laughs) So God was very serious about uh, this particular law of the Sabbath year. Verse 12. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and that the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. Again, the Sabbath Law of the seventh day, a uh, day of rest was the sign of the covenant God made with Israel. Now, there are those that would emphasize that today as though they're keeping the law, but really are they keeping the, the year Sabbath law? Are, are they giving their land a rest every seventh year? And if not, well, the Bible says that if we are guilty of breaking the law in one point, we are guilty of breaking the whole thing which is why nobody will ever be justified by works of the law. Verse 13, And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. God did not even want them knowing the names of the other gods. He knew that as soon as they knew their names, they would want to know about their practices and on and on, and then it would stumble them and they would get involved in idolatry, which is exactly what happened. You know what? We don't need to know stuff. We don't need to have carnal knowledge. The Bible says that we're to be wise in what is good and innocent concerning evil. Remember, that was Satan's ploy with Eve in the Garden of Eden. If you eat this fruit, you will be as God knowing good and evil. Listen, it's just better off that we don't know evil. We got enough good stuff in the Word for us to feed our minds on that we don't need to go for the world's junk food.
1: You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the the through-the-Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel Treasure Valley. They meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at Pepperidge Elementary School in Boise. Also, to listen to any of Pastor Daryl's teachings or to find out more about the church, go to their website at calvarytv.org. We'd really love to hear from you. Tomorrow, we'll see where the Lord told Moses of his angel who would go before them and lead them into the promised land. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Exodus on Simply the Bible.